Well, we're going to have our Bible reading now, and our Bible reading is from Philippians chapter 1. So Philippians chapter 1 and verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, this is God's true and trustworthy word. Great. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, and let's look at verses 1 to 11. Um, Let's see what God has to teach us here. Uh, If you're a Christian, then you know that you ought to pray. If you're a Christian, you know that you want to pray. And if you're a Christian, you know that God answers your prayers when you do pray. But if you're a Christian, you also know that prayer can be difficult. Prayer can be a struggle. We know that we don't pray enough. And finding time to pray in a fast-paced world can be hard. Take your children to nursery or to school. Then you go to work for the day. Then you pick them up afterwards. Then it's tea time. Then it's bath time. Then it's story time. Then it's bedtime. Then it's collapse time. Or you start work early in the morning. You've had a hard day at work. The customers are hard. The clients are difficult. And you get home late and it's tea time. And then it's collapse time. But you still know that you ought to pray. And you want to pray, and you know that God hears your prayers. So from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, let's find three things that will help us pray. We pray with joyful thanks, we pray with the right feeling, and we pray with loving discernment. So let's look at those three things. First of all, let's pray with joyful thanks. Joyful thanks. This is in verses 3 to 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because joy needs a prayer partner. No, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul prays with thankfulness, verse 3, and joyfulness, verse 4. 
We do many things when we pray. We wrestle in prayer. We lament in prayer. We confess in prayer. We praise in prayer. We struggle in prayer. But there are also times when our prayers are thankful and joyful. And it's a delight to offer them up to the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is praying for people that he's thankful for and people that bring him joy. Uh, Yeah, for sure, we need to have the discipline of praying for people that we are not necessarily thankful for or that don't bring us joy. And we pray that their hearts would be changed and our hearts would be changed towards them. But we can also pray for people we're thankful for and joyful over. And the Apostle Paul was thankful and joyful over these Philippians for two reasons. One, their partnership in the gospel. Notice that in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This word partnership is the familiar Christian word koinonia, which means fellowship, but really it means sharing in something together. Sharing in something together. And Paul is talking about how he, he and the Philippians shared in the gospel together. He's probably thinking back to um, maybe a decade or so before he wrote this letter when he went to Philippi, which is in Greece. Uh, he went there uh, to plant a church, do mission work. And there he met a lady uh, called Lydia and she opened her home to him for gospel work sharing in the gospel. Paul and his companions were arrested and put in prison, but God did a wonderful earthquake miracle and released them, and the jailer was so terrified that he fell on his knees and asking to be saved. And then the jailer opened up his home to Paul and fed him, sharing in the gospel. And Paul says from the first day, the day there in Philippi, to now, they shared in this precious thing, the gospel. They had the same same vision. They believed the same things. Uh, They had the same purpose. And Paul is really thankful for those Christians that shared with him in the gospel. The second reason why the Apostle Paul was giving joyful thanks is because of their obvious Christian lives. So first, because they shared in the gospel. Second, the obvious Christian lives. Verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus is the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will burst through the clouds of the sky in majestic glory. And we will see him as he is and worship him. The day of the personal appearance of Jesus Christ. The day of Christ Jesus. And the Apostle Paul knew that that day was coming. Didn't know the date, the time, the hour, but he knew the day was coming. And he looked forward to that day. And he looked forward to the Philippians being in glory with him on that day. And he says he knows that will happen, one, because God began a good work in them. That good work there in verse 6 is the work of salvation. It's a good work. And it's a good work because it does us good. And it does the community in which we live good as well. When someone is saved, they start doing good things. Paul says it's a good work. 
And God begins that work the day that God began that work in you. He who began a good work. See, there is a moment that God begins a good work in your life. A moment. It, it might be when you're six years old. It might be in your teens, your 20s, 30s, 40s, and so on. But when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, God begins this good work in you. The good work of transforming you to make you like Jesus Christ. There is a moment when that begins, because you're not born a Christian. And have you had that moment? That moment when you know that Jesus Christ has come into your life and that he's your savior. That's the moment the good work begins. But that's just the start. Salvation is not completed the day that we are saved. There is an ongoing progressive transformation of our character that takes place. And God does that. So Paul says that he who began a good work will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll carry it on to completion. You know, carrying something on. We, we sometimes say that, don't we? And someone's going on about something. Stop carrying on about it. But this is what God is doing to us. He's carrying us onwards and onwards and onwards to the day of Christ Jesus. That's awesome to know that every day God is at work in our lives. Every day he's progressing that work that he began. He will complete it and finish it at the glorious day when either we die and go to be with glory or Jesus comes down to earth to take us to glory. God carries on that work. You know, sometimes uh, we think there's not much happening in my life. But there is. Every day, God is faithful. Every day, all my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. And God carries on that work in our life through suffering, through trials, through temptations, failures, circumstances, pains, victories, joys, and delights. God is always at work in your life. And Paul knew that for these Philippians. And therefore, he gives thanks for them. And he's happy and joyful. So Paul prays for people with joyful thanks. The second thing uh, that we can see is this. The Apostle Paul prays with the right feeling. With the right feeling. Look at verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a few words here just to, to look at. Um, very subjective words. Feeling, affection, they're all there. And heart. Feeling, affection, and heart. The Apostle Paul is feeling something in his emotions. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Feelings. We've all got them. Strange things, feelings. We've all got them. 
We all go through a range of feelings throughout life. And sometimes a whole range of feelings in a single day. And we may think, I've got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good, good night. We've got feelings. They're always there. And so often our feelings result in actions. So if you're feeling angry, that can result in rage or bad temper. If you're feeling sympathy, it can result in tears or comfort. If you're feeling a sense of urgency, then you'll be rushing or hurrying. Our feelings so often propel our actions. And so feelings should make us pray, as it did to Paul. It is right for me to feel this way about you. John Calvin once wrote this. Prayer is an emotion of the heart which is laid open before God, the searcher of hearts. So the Apostle Paul prays for these Philippians out of deep heart feelings. And he says to them in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. You're in my heart. And that's the best place to have people. Not just on a list of contacts. Not just on a prayer list or a prayer app. But in your heart, so that you can sing with good old Rod. You're in my heart. You're in my soul. You're in my heart, says Paul. That takes some doing, you know, to have people in your heart. And for some of us, that might be very difficult. It might be very difficult to let people into our lives. Maybe we've been damaged or wounded or hurt by others in childhood or teenage years or even recently. And so we've decided that we close the safety door to our hearts and not let anyone in. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And that's what can happen to people if we don't open our hearts. The poet Mary Oliver said this, If the doors of my heart ever close, I'm as good as dead. So we need to open our hearts no matter how difficult that might be for some of us, that we open our hearts to God, let him in, and to other people. And spiritual maturity, entering into the lives of other people and letting them into our life, involves opening up our hearts to people. Shared experiences, weeping with those who weep. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. We're hurt when other people are hurt. We rejoice when other people succeed. We share life with them. The Christian life and church life needs to be a reflection of the life of the Holy Trinity. And the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a shared life. So our life, to reflect the image of God, needs to be a shared life. And the Apostle Paul says... He shared his life with these Philippians. I have you in my heart. I feel this way about you. 
for I have you in my heart. He goes on to speak about his feelings even more in verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection is a, a deep word. It's to do with the, the insides of us. It's, it's to do with uh, what happens when we get excited, we feel butterflies, or, or, or when we're sickened by something, we've got this gut feeling. Uh, and that's what this word affection is. It's not just a little bit of love and affection. It's deep love, deep affection coming from within us. Now, God has affection for people. In Isaiah chapter 16, verse 11, God says, My heart laments for Moab like a harp. The Vienna, Vienna Symphonic Library says that a harp's sound is gentle, metallic, blurring, resonant, short, hard, drifting, full sounding, rushing, clear, brilliant, glittering, flowing, dull, mellow, sharp, crystal clear, reverberating, splashing, cascading. That's God's heart resounding like a harp towards people. And that was seen in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, like father, like son. God's heart is for us. The heart of Jesus Christ is for us. He has affection for people. When Jesus walked this earth, you have this incident in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus was entering a town called Nain. And there he came across a, a young lady who, whose husband had died. She was a widow lady. And what's more, her son had just died. And Jesus was entering that town just at the moment of the son's funeral. And Luke 7 verse 13 says that Jesus' heart went out to her. He had feelings for her, deep feelings. The affection of Jesus Christ is really, really deep. Don't think of Jesus as this like stern task master. He has this loving heart of deep affection for you and for me. And the Apostle Paul says that he's got a similar heart to Christians. So he prays with joyful thanks and he prays for them with right feeling because of his love. Thirdly and finally, the Apostle Paul also prays for these Christians. He prays for their loving discernment, their loving discernment. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we see exactly what it is that Paul is praying for them. He's told us how he's praying, the feelings he has. He's told them he's joyful, he's thankful. He's told them of his loving affection. He's told them of his feelings. But now at last, he tells us what it is he's praying for them. Verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the petition itself, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He's praying that their love might grow, their love for God and their love for people. You can't separate the two. You can't love God without loving people, and you show that you love God by loving people. Love for God, love your neighbor. And the Apostle Paul says, I, I'm praying that that love for God and that love for people might grow within you. He's praying that let your love flow like a mountain 
simplest of dreams. Let your love grow and flow. Love is put into our hearts when we become Christians and it grows as we go on in the life of following Jesus. The Christian life is not a static life. It's one of growing. And Paul prays their love might grow in two areas. Insight. Knowledge. It's a special kind of knowledge. It's not knowledge of physics or statistics. Uh, it's knowledge of God. Of who he is and his will and his ways. May your love grow in that knowledge of God. And then he says in depth of insight, which speaks about discernment, insight into living, the moral maze that they lived in then in the Roman Empire, the moral maze that we live in today, depth of insight. So may we have love that grows in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best. This now is talking about decisions. And life is full of decisions. And if our love is growing and in knowledge and depth of insight, we can make the best decisions so that you may be able to discern what is best. There's so many choices in life. So many things we could do. So many places we could go. So many options we can have. So much choice. Paul is saying, I'm praying you might make the best choices. And we make the best choices when our love is growing for God and people. You know, there's three kinds of decisions that people make in life. We all make these decisions. There's decisions in the moral area of life. These are right and wrong decisions. Decisions to do with sinfulness or holiness. There's moral decisions we need to make. There's wisdom decisions as well. Decisions with consequences that might be best, second best, or foolish. Wisdom decisions. But also, thirdly, there's so what decisions. Decisions that don't have an ethical implication, but decisions that are simply based on our personal preferences and tastes. So those three decisions can often come together. So say you're out with some friends for a curry one night. Whether you have chicken korma, or vindaloo is a so what decision. Doesn't really matter. It's your personal taste. Vindaloo or chicken korma or anything in between. Whether you eat one plate or three plates of vindaloo is a decision of wisdom. Might not be the best thing to eat three plates of vindaloo. But when it comes to paying for that vindaloo or chicken korma, then the decision is, shall we do a runner? Or shall we pay? It's a moral decision, a right and wrong decision. And every day we are faced with wisdom decisions, moral decisions, and so what decisions. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm praying that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you would make the best decisions in life. And once we make those best decisions, it leads to verses 10 and 11. You may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what happens in making the right decisions in life. It produces a purity in our lives. The wrong decisions can lead to, to terrible things in our life, sinfulness and terrible things. 
But right decisions will lead to purity. Being pure is a 100% one material, 100% undiluted liquid, 100% for the Lord. That's purity. It will produce a blamelessness in our life. Nobody can blame us for that it going wrong if you make the right decision. It will produce the fruit of righteousness, which is a, a wonderful thing. And it will prepare us for the day of Christ. We'll be ready because we've made the right decisions. But even before that day, right at the end of this passage, verse 11, it will enable us now to live for the glory and praise of God. And that's what we're about. And that's why Paul prays for these Christians with thankful, with joyful thanks, with the right feeling. And he prays for their loving discernment that right here and now they might live for the praise and glory of God. And that prayer that the Apostle Paul prays is really a reflection of the prayer that Jesus Christ prays for us even now. For even now, Jesus is praying for us. Even now, Jesus has us in his heart. And even now, the affection of Jesus Christ towards you and me is so great, you cannot measure it. The heart of Christ in heaven is no different from the heart of Christ towards sinners on earth. If Jesus loved people on earth, he loves people still, though he's in heaven. And this is our Savior, who loves us so much, we are one with him in his heart. And he enables us to pray. He enables us to live for his glory. And he enables us to make the right decisions. Why? Because he carries on his work in our life until his glorious day. Therefore, we can rejoice and be glad because we're in the safe hands of God. Let's be quiet before we sing our last song. Thank you, Lord, that we are in your hands. And thank you that we can sing with joy that our God is for us. Well, go out singing that song, the right feeling towards God, the right feeling towards each other. Let people into your lives. Go out with joyful thankfulness that God is for you. Pray for other people, for their real discernment in the moral maze in which we live. And go out and live on your front line to the glory of God until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.